Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. End of the week of Sunday, December 19th, 2021, which is the fourth Sunday of Advent. All right, well, our text for this week is Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39 and going through verse 55. And we've been working narratively backwards since the beginning of Advent, and so we're finally in the first chapter of Luke. And this morning, I am reading out of the message translation. Mary didn't waste a minute. She got up and traveled to a town in Judah in the hill country, straight to Zachariah's house, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leaped. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and sang out exuberantly, You are so blessed among women, and the babe in your womb is also blessed. And why am I so blessed that the mother of my Lord visits me? The moment the sound of your greeting entered my ears, the babe in my womb skipped like a lamb for sheer joy. Blessed woman who believed what God said, believed every word that would come true. And Mary said, I'm bursting with good news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. God took one look at me and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose very name is holy set apart from all others. His mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. He bared his arm and showed his strength. Scattered the bluffing braggarts, he knocked the tyrants off their high horses, pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. He embraced his chosen child, Israel. He remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham and right up to now. The word of the Lord. All right, well, this is one of the most famous texts in maybe all of the New Testament, not only around Advent and Christmas, but this uh, back half of the text is what is considered the Magnificat, which is uh, maybe one of the most important of the, the gospel texts and pieces of New Testament poetry uh, that, that we have. And a few things, uh, you know, stand out in this text that I, I want to bring into our conversation on Sunday, uh, one being talking about, in a very human and basic level, the relationship between Mary and Elizabeth, which if we are thinking about our theme for this uh, Advent season, abiding with, abiding within, I, I want to just simply talk about th- their relationship and how um, they are experiencing uh, God abiding with them through their uh, through their relationship and through their uh, pregnancies, because at, at a really human level, there's something beautiful going on. I think in the dynamic between Mary and Elizabeth. So that's that's what I want to talk about on Sunday, and maybe the other thing is to to break down a little bit of how we uh, feel about uh, the ideas that exist within Mary's song in this poem, uh, because a lot of times when this poem is referenced when I was reading commentaries even this week. It, you know, progressive uh, Christians will even use a lot of magical thinking when considering uh, this text and particularly the Magnificat, in the sense that there is still this idea of uh, awaiting a second coming and how, like one of the particular commentaries that I read was um, that this should not, this uh, Magnificat, the poem should not be 
used as an argument for any kind of uh, social government. This is from a progressive uh, Christian, uh, a social government or um, a political change, because what is being referred to in the Magnificat is something um, beyond this world, beyond what uh, systems of government our world has ever seen. And I just don't really buy that argument because if something is beyond this world or beyond anything that humans have ever experienced and you're saying what exists in a particular text is something that we haven't yet seen or couldn't even conceive of, well, you could use the Bible to make that argument all the time to say, hey, we shouldn't argue for anything here and now material in our lives and in our world uh, because whatever, insert Bible text here, is referring to is something that is so spiritual or um, beyond our constructs, uh, material constructs of uh, the human life in uh, the 21st century that we can't we can't really speak to that. And you could just play that game all the time, uh, especially when it comes to issues of uh, injustice, civil rights, um, human, uh, fighting for the human dignity of all people here and now when we're talking about the climate. It's like um, somebody, I read something this week said that, uh, you know, the Magnificat is often used to leverage um, people towards uh, more ideas of socialism. But in the first century, they wouldn't have any kind of concept for um, 21st century uh, socialism. And I'm thinking, yeah, they wouldn't have a construct for uh, our scientific understanding of the universe. They wouldn't have our construct for anything now. But we don't say, oh, we shouldn't argue for human rights because the first century, like the biblical text, is speaking to a different world. Like That's just a silly argument to make. So I would like us to actually talk about the Magnificat in terms of it being, uh, this poem being a past, present, and future reality, but not one in which is sort of so beyond like magical thinking, like waiting for um, some type of future reality in which we can't even envision or materially live into here and now in our own lives. Uh, what exists in this poem says something about what is true, like ultimately true about the past for Mary in the first century and what what is going on in the context of this poem and what that means for the life of Jesus. That, that's a really important question. And then how this poem has import into our own present reality. And then obviously the hope that that gives us for a future reality for our literal kids and our grandkids. Uh, because I see there's a trajectory, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a trajectory in this poem, too, that says this means uh, something for us now, and what it means for us now is going to continue to be worked and realized into the future. Also, I would like to hopefully keep this short because as I was preparing and thinking um, about how beautiful this text is, and particularly in the relationship between Mary and Elizabeth, uh, I feel like if... I, I'm, I'm wholly unqualified to talk about um, the beautiful experience that these two women are sharing in their own time and in the spiritual 
and um, the psycho-spiritual dimensions of their relationship and the idea of God abiding with them, that they're carrying forward uh, these two prophets, um, Messiah figures, the the Savior of the world. Uh, These are really bold and big ideas that these women are creating space for and holding presence. And I I have to feel like at some level, the more that I sort of ramble on about this, uh, it's going to come across as as mansplaining in a in a weird way. And I don't I don't mean to 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 sort of dismiss um, that there's nothing that um, that I or or a man could say to um, to this text, but there is something I think beautiful about just letting this text exist. And letting it be. So I would like to maybe on Sunday to, and maybe here this morning, just hold space for that silence. I particularly like at the beginning of this text, even when Mary approaches Elizabeth here, that uh, that the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps. There's something just about the presence of these two women that um, creates this dynamic um, between this recognition between uh, the baby even in Elizabeth's womb. Like, there's something in the, even in the silence that is incredibly powerful. Uh, and when we're thinking about our theme of abiding, I think we've all experienced the power of another person simply abiding with us um, in silence and with their very presence. And you know, part of me thinks uh, about even the dynamic of Mary and Elizabeth's relationship prior to this. Obviously, Elizabeth is significantly older and has not been able to have a child, and and then Mary is uh, presumably um, very young, a teenager, and is ha- has this child outside of the context of uh, being married. And both women would be in positions of shame in the first century. They would have low standing based on these two things, Elizabeth not being able to have a child, Mary having a child outside of the typical context. And, and yet you have, this, you have this friendship, you have this relationship, this dynamic, and it's incredibly moving and powerful. And then that sort of bursts forth at the end of this text with this, this song of praise that is not only about Mary's human experience and what God is doing in her life, but it's it's universal for for all of us as well. And then I just find that expression to be extremely powerful. Um, the universal ex- expressed in the particular, as we often say. I came across this uh, quote on um, religionandfeminism.com uh, this week um, by a writer. I think I'm saying, hopefully I'm saying it right, Mary. Uh, Pettier, uh, and she writes, she's talking about the divine feminine, because I was thinking about these these ideas and just the way that God expresses God's self and, and you know, give, I mean, we have, um, give Luke some credit here in, in writing, because in this, um, in this story, we, we have two women who are the only ones that have voice and have interaction and we know that that's just not something common 
in first century literature, in first century society. And we have the sacred text in which God is expressing what it means to produce life, to be life, uh, to support life um, in their relationship presence and what they're um, and who they're bringing forth into the world. And uh, maybe that's another a topic for this this week to talk about God's expression as female or feminine. There's a little bit of debate on whether or not uh, you should even use the the word the uh, phrase divine feminine, but I'll I'll table that for now. So if I say divine feminine, just uh, and and that bothers you, just bear with me. Um, but Mary uh, Petier writes this: the power of the divine feminine taps into the power of life. The power is accessible to everyone as the equal opportunity energy surrounding and connecting all living things. When we make the connection, we find balance and we need to realize our highest selves. And through balance, we can realize the highest self of our larger society. To reclaim the divine feminine, we need only to remember as more of us remember, we heal first ourselves and ultimately the planet. The greatest image of the divine feminine is the planet itself. Her body is the earth, and we all spring from it, all of us human, plant, and animal. This planet, her sacred body, is our home, and when we understand our connection to it and through it, uh, we stop defiling it. Once we have traveled back the, the route back to ourself, we emerge aware of our own surroundings in a new way. We fathom that our connection to each living thing as we begin to revere the planet that nourishes us. The divine feminine is already here as more and more of us travel to hear her call. Listen carefully and you will too. Um, I found this quote to be um, powerful, this idea, just even thinking about the dynamic of, uh, that's the other thing maybe that uh, I, I have struggling with this is because I was reading and listening to uh, to those um, that have spoken about this text before, scholars who have written on this text. And, and another tendency is to uh, create an environment where Advent and this text particularly has only meaning within the confines of uh, our Christian tradition and the the boundaries of advent so it's like we create this weird world where advent is supposed to mean something it's waiting for the arrival of christ being born into the world and you're supposed to in the confines of church understand that those are boundaries and then the church tells you that this waiting period uh, the literal four weeks leading up to christmas is meaningful because we do it every we do it every year and this is the the pattern but sometimes i need the meaning to exist outside of the boundaries of the church and why the church created a four week system basically saying hey this is when we wait for the arrival of advent it, it, it's just a, con- a made up construct and so something is important or meaningful or deeply true, I would like it to be true outside of the the construct of just the four-week pattern because that's just how somebody decided to express it every year. 
I don't know if that particularly makes sense, but it it just bothered me this week as people were kind of talking about this week of uh, Advent is the week of love. And a lot of really well-intentioned people, I think, trivialize this um, season and, and text unintentionally when they're trying to talk about how certain ideas line up with certain weeks and isn't that important because it's cool that this theme can be found in this particular text in in this way. And to me, that's just, I don't know, it's just not all that satisfying because I am looking for something that transcends the bounds of just the four-week pattern of Advent. And I would like something to be materially true rather than saying, um, well, I am really moved by this idea. And uh, isn't it amazing the the love that Mary is experiencing in this particular text? And that's something that we can hope to experience in our own lives as we approach the Christmas season, something like that. And I'm just like, all right, well, what is what is materially true? Because I see in this particular text a an incredibly beautiful human experience, the interaction between Elizabeth and Mary, and then Mary's um, poem, her song that is expressing what God is doing in her life and what God will continue to do in the world. And that's, I think, another important question as we we look at our, or think about our conversation on Sunday is what does Mary's song, the Magnificat, say about God's material interaction with our um, human condition uh, here and now? And I am all for Christmas uh, tradition, nostalgia. I, I really love this time of year. There's something to me about the spiritualization uh, or making the the Advent or a Christmas season from a church perspective nostalgic or magical, kind of like outside of the um, westernized American version of um, you know, magical uh, Christmas seasons, like the church is somehow feels like it needs to compete with it by creating its own themes and then sort of forcing the text into these these arbitrary themes and days, which again, I think is probably pretty harmless, but it just doesn't it just doesn't matter or mean anything at least to me. You can disagree, that's fine too. But there's something again, I keep going back to this idea, but beautiful and human and raw about Elizabeth and Mary's relationship that is powerful and can exist on its own. And I think it can be very powerful at this time of year to reflect on that. But I feel weird trying to force their experience into a kind of theme or to then project their experience onto our future and say, well, this is the promise of which God is going to do in the future and God is coming and God will save us because um, their experience is uh, symbolizing something for the future rather than letting their relationship 
move us and having a conversation around uh, the ways in which we've experienced presence and relationship in, in similar ways. And it's also important to, to remember that both Mary and Elizabeth are pregnant in two very different life stages and circumstances. Elizabeth for being beyond normal childbearing years and the shame that that had um, brought upon her in, based on first century culture and society. And then, and then Mary's situation where she's, she's young, she's not married, and now she's pregnant as well. That, um, that is something that is celebrated within the Christian tradition and in, as it should be in this story is about God's blessing, but the, the sort of shadow side of that is it's kind of implied that God's blessing upon women is um, being able to to have a child. And we celebrate families and we spend time with families um, and families generally are, are celebrated this time of year. But we know that Christmas is a really difficult time for a lot of people because you can't be, a lot of people can't be themselves around their families in the same way. Uh, there's so many people that uh, long to have a child but haven't been able to uh, to get pregnant or have have lost children uh, family traditions are are really beautiful but they're also incredibly difficult times a year and I think that whenever we talk about a text like this and we imply God's blessing as um, being able to have children and it certainly is um, it's also a really difficult time for a lot of people that can't be with their family, have lost family members, um, want to have children but can't. And uh, that's also something that I think we can hold space for. And this text gives us the opportunity to have that conversation and to hold space. But it is a little bit, um, it's a little bit under the surface or between the lines in a text like this um, because it can be, um, it can be lost that um, in the in their experience, Mary and Elizabeth, that there's a lot going on here um, beyond just um, this short uh, story about uh, their relationship and the blessing that is coming through John the Baptist and Jesus. So, I think I will uh, leave it there. I want to create a lot of space for uh, this story and to allow their relationship and even the silence in this story to to speak for itself. So I am going to read this um, as our meditation right now at the end of this. Um, and I'm going to read it, I'm going to try to read it slower than I did the first time, and just allow... Yeah, maybe just allow Mary and Elizabeth's experience to exist and to be. And maybe you feel something, maybe something stands out to you. Maybe there's a word uh, or phrase or part of this text that um, really speaks to you. Um, And if not, that's totally fine. Uh, I think that there is nothing wrong for allowing a story and a text to simply exist and to have appreciation for a story in and of itself. And then maybe at a later time, something you know works in your life or something comes up for you. Um, 
yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read this, and then I'll close this. Mary didn't waste a minute. She got up and traveled to a town in Judah in the hill country, straight to Zechariah's house, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leaped. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and sang out exuberantly, You're so blessed among women, and the babe in your womb is also blessed. And why am I so blessed that the mother of my Lord visits me? The moment the sound of your greeting entered my ears, the babe in my womb skipped like a lamb for sheer joy. Blessed woman who believed what God said, believed every word would come true. And Mary said, I am bursting with God news. I am dancing the song of my Savior God. God took one good look at me and look what happened. I am the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose very name is holy set apart from all others. His mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. He barred his arm and showed his strength, scattered the bluffing braggarts. He knocked down tyrants off their high horses, pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. He embraced his chosen child, Israel. He remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham and right up to now.